Hello there, welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Coming up, we've got an interview conversation really with my former university football teammate, Mike Nicholson, Mikey Nicholson, who's doing great work with young boys and men under the banner of progressive masculinity. Speak to him in a second. First of all, thank you for being here. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. You can go into the Bang Olufsen Cheltenham store in the courtyard in Montpellier, here in Cheltenham in the west of England, or look up Serene AV online and get in touch with Jason Briggs and his fine team. Remember, if you're looking to optimize your immunity, the podcast has an ongoing association with Cytoplan, which is a food-based supplement company housed not far from here in the west of England, but is a company that we know well, having taken their supplements for 20 plus years under the stewardship of my father, Dr. Mark Draper, who's been on the podcast recently. You can listen back to those. And if you would like to share in a discount with us, uh, the podcast listeners are offered 30% off their first purchase, 10% ongoing, whatever supplements you're looking for, bespoke vitamins or maybe a multivitamin, whatever it might be, go to cytoplan.co.uk and the code at checkout is Draper10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters and numerals, one zero and the capital letter R. And remember that Sport and Life has partnered with Herring Shoes, an English family-run shoemaking business, which Richard Herring started in 1966. Great year for football, of course, English football at least. I've got a great pair of uh, black brogues. Love them. Classic combination of style and comfort. And they've got this fantastic family heritage in England, but do distribute shoes worldwide and have kindly offered listeners of the podcast a 10% discount at herringshoes.co.uk. The discount code is TED10, T-E-D, all capital letters, numerals one zero, and it's applicable to all shoes over 20 pounds. Remember, if you're looking to maybe document a loved one's life story, record it in quality audio, whether it's a father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, you may be interested in Attic Box Audio, atticboxaudio.co.uk. And remember the free mentoring session via the link in the show notes with Anthony Asprey, and the Whole Man Academy 5 going each month in association with the podcast. Right, let's get on to Mikey Nicholson, great goalkeeper in his day, trampolinist as well, cricket player, all-round sportsman, but now fantastic work as a teacher. He's progressed to offer a bespoke solution to troubled young men, really, troubled young boys through progressive masculinity. Let's uh, get into that conversation. Here he is, Mikey Nicholson. Mikey Nicholson, welcome to Sport and Life podcast. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, yeah, pleasure. Thank you for having me, uh, Teddy Draper. It's lovely to be here. No worries. Good to good to be with you. Um, oh, Mike Thompson, I should call you after your Radio Four appearance, which I, I enjoyed as well. <laughs> I actually knew another Mike Thompson from school, so it was uh, it was quite a funny a funny cameo yeah. that. But, but you're into the business. How many years now? How how long have you been in? Nearly a year. Progressive masculinity. Yeah, for nearly nearly finished the first year of the business. Yeah, and how how's this journey been? From well, tell us about the story first of all, because you you taught for a long time in it, and this next step was born out of your experience of teaching. Yeah, absolutely. So I was an English teacher for eighteen years. Uh, part of that was spent as in management as head of department, and I think a lot of the time that I spent, in addition to teaching English, was working with lads um, who were going through a lot of emotional and a range of different issues they would come to me at break time dinner time after school they obviously felt safe talking to me 
And kind of what underpinned every single one of these lads coming talking to me, the pattern that I spotted was this performance of masculinity that we're all living that was leading to them basically to be miserable and unhappy. So it's this idea that masculinity has to be de defined by aggression and dominance and defiance. And they were all sabotaging themselves. They were sabotaging their academics. They were sabotaging their happiness and their friendships just to look like what they thought they should look like. So I went to the head teacher about four years ago uh, and I said, listen, Adam, I've got this idea. Uh, do you mind if I put a program together? And, you know, will you support it? And he was great. He said, yeah, you know, he believed in it. So I ran an early version of the program four years ago and it had some positive impact. Um, yeah. But I went back to the drawing board, kind of redesigned it, and then it got rolled out to the whole school, um, every year group, and it had a bigger impact. So it's kind of, that's how it grew, really. Just doing the workshops, back to the drawing board, improve it. And by the third year of the program, it was having a really strong impact. Um, lads were coming out of it much happier. Uh, they were doing better. They were attending school more. They were getting better grades, less trouble. And that's when I started getting um, attention from other schools, from football academies, from youth offending institutes, from whole different kind of range of institutions. Mm. And that's when I left to sell progressive masculinity. That's brilliant. So wh when you started with the concept of masculinity, how do you look upon it? Is it is it a cultural thing? Is it a biological thing? What's what's masculinity? What's femininity? Yeah. First off, like I do not style myself as some kind of guru, you know, that has <laughs> all the answers on these huge questions. Um, no. If you ask me what is masculinity? I'm going to give you a, a, a really straight answer. I, I'm not 100% sure. And I think anyone that says they know, I think that's part of the problem. The fact that we box it in, this is masculinity, this is femininity. The traditional story of masculinity is one of exclusion, you know, where if you don't fit a certain set of characteristics that psychologists call the man box, then you're kind of cast out. So mm. you're too skinny, you're too fat, you're too girly, you try hard in lessons. You know, all these lads are kind of pushed out into the cold. And what's left is this tiny little group that can call themselves real men progressive masculinity is all about broadening our understanding of masculinity can we can you actually be a skinny guy like me and still be a man can you be in a wheelchair and still be a proper or a good man and it's about drawing more of us in to what it can mean to be masculine so the way that we do that is just by creating safe non-judgmental spaces to have these conversations i mean it's so complex masculinity there are so many different intersections of race social class sexuality and as a white, straight, neurotypical man, I don't know what a lot of men go through. So we sit down and we talk to each other about what's your experience of masculinity, what what makes you happy, and through that we kind of come up with the answers together. But you, but people were, were kids for years, eighteen years teaching. You said they were approaching you, were they? Is that where it was born out of that that they kind of you, you, you they gravitated to you, and that's actually where the, the idea came from? Yeah, they didn't come to me and say, "Oh, Mike, I've got problems with my masculinity." <laughs> but you know, they would come to me and say, "Oh, I've kicked off with my maths teacher again," or they'd come in punching the wall saying, "I've just had a fight, uh, sir." And you know, it meant a lot to me that they felt safe enough to come to me first of mm. all, that they felt that they had that trust. But it was me that recognised that each of them was the, the pattern for each of them was this performance that they're living um, of what they felt they were supposed to be. And progressive masculinity is all about really giving us the strength or trying to find the strength together to end that performance and be, be whatever you want to be. You know, it's not a brainwashing exercise. I'm not trying to turn you into the man that I think you should be it's trying to give you the confidence to be the man that you want to be. Where are boys and men generally in, in society at the moment? Cause you, you look at it and obviously women's liberation has been a fantastic thing, but, and I don't want to be too comparative, but often you look at the statistics and, and girls are doing better in school, better at university, better in employment, even in a sense. I know there's a, a, a gender pay gap, which is complex and nuanced still, but that 
that the men and boys are finding it difficult. Do you have any inkling of, of why that might be? Yeah, I, I mean, first off, it's, you're right, it's not a competition. And our journey of understanding masculinity doesn't just benefit us, it can have huge benefits for women as well. And, you know, for us being allies and advocates for them. But we've never had a movement commensurate to feminism, have we? Mm. In the, under a patriarchal system, you know, we've never really questioned what it is to be a man. And so it's always been that man box. But you said earlier, the nuanced masculinity is equally nuanced and layered as femininity, but we've never really explored those nuances and those layers. And that's yeah. what I think we're being maybe a little bit more open to now. Do, do women in general have more role models than men because of the family setup? Is that sometimes an issue that you find that, that single parent families tend to be mother-led, don't they, rather than father-led? Yeah, I mean... When, when a kind of family breaks down, it's obviously very sad, but the mother generally will have, you know, more rights in terms of um, looking after the kid and everything. And lack of father figures and lack of positive role models is a, is a huge issue. Um, mm. not, but not everyone's lucky enough to, you know, you don't want a couple staying together just for that reason, do you? Because that would actually be more harmful to the children. So I think what we need is to populate society with as many positive male role models. So even if dad's not around, you know, you can collect your male role models from the world around you, um, which is what we do anyway, but too many of them are negative at the moment. So in our programme, we kind of expose the lads to a very broad range of uh, men who are really positive, but for lots of different reasons. You know, some of them might be because they're physically powerful, other might be because they're very loyal, um, because they're great dads, because they're psychologically strong. So, yeah, I think there is a void in masculinity in our society. We're very good at telling boys what not to be. But we don't think we're great at showing them, well, what, what does a really good man look like? What does a caring, strong, loving man look like? Does that word strength come up a bit? You said psychological strength, yeah, physical all strength. All the time, yeah. yeah. All the time, yeah. But they, they have a very one-dimensional view of it. You know, they're very much strength means physically dominant, powerful, that old-fashioned kind of alpha-style mm. build, which, you know, physical strength is a valid kind of strength. They're definitely not trying to undo that. And I'm a big fan of exercise and going to the gym, but it's not the only kind of strength. And actually I would argue it's not the most important kind of strength. So again, within the sessions, we look at our interpretations of strength. What about being strong in your morals, strong in your loyalties, strong mm. psychologically, strong enough to admit when you're wrong, you know, and, yeah. and apologize. There's so many strengths. It's such a broad term, but we have in masculinity. I think we have such a narrow perception of it. That, that loyalty is significant, isn't it? In, in the family setup, how, how big is, is that for, for kids that come from difficult family circumstances to understand potentially that, that actually you riding out tough times in a relationship with a woman or, or whatever it is might be the, the secret to a, a strong life? Yeah, loyalty and resilience are really important. I think one of my favourite parts of the whole programme is right at the end when we look at what kind of husbands, partners and fathers we want to be in the future. And I always say to lads, it doesn't matter what, your dad was like whether you knew your dad whether you didn't know your dad whether you loved him whether he wasn't around very much that's not going to determine the kind of dad that you want to be and we look at fatherhood and the kind of dads they describe themselves as being is like it's beautiful you know they always say no matter what their background is and obviously i work with some really lads who've got real issues in yeah. their lives they always <clears throat> describe themselves like, i want to i always want to be there for my kid i want my kids to know that the dad will be there no matter what i want to share my interests with them, you know, take them out, play football or take them to dance class or whatever. And that's kind of the aspirational side of the program. I'm less bothered about what they want to do in terms of work as it, but I'm more bothered about what they kind of man they aspire to be. Because I don't think your job is who you are. 
You know, you can rake in 500 grand a year and be a not a very good man. You can rake in not very much and be a great guy. So for the aspirational side for us and looking at kind of fatherhood, being a good partner, husband, just being a good man, that's the side we focus on. What, what about the, the, the physical aspect of this? How much conflict for young males in particular is, is born out of fear and perhaps a, a fear that they can't handle themselves, that they can't defend themselves? We were talking before about having the confidence maybe of, of martial arts, combat sports, boxing, rugby, whatever it might be. Do you feel that that is significant for, for young males, that just feeling secure? Because I know we talk a lot about male on female violence, but actually as a young boy, I think we all remember, and we all had different growth rates and puberty rates where actually you could be at times four years less developed than someone else in your class, which could be uh, where males exert themselves physically could be quite a daunting situation. That can be quite frightening. I mean, the male world is very hierarchical, isn't it? It's very much a pecking order and physical size, especially when you're young, is a huge aspect to where you kind of, where you stand on that. I mean, I was small for my age mm. and I remember being, you know, feeling a bit intimidated around some of the lads. It was obvious that they wanted me to feel like that. They were like well. men, men, I very men, much, I very men much at 13. Felt, yeah. Some of them men at 13, yeah. weren't they? Yes. Yeah. And I very much felt, you know, I kind of low down. What saved me was being quite good at sport. You know, that sport, being good at sport is a shortcut in the male hierarchy to a, a higher status. It shouldn't be, but mm. it is. And that kind of spared me maybe some of the bullying that some of the other smaller lads got. But yeah, I mean, Ideally, we want to produce a world where these lads don't feel like they have to get strong and bulk up and, you know, go into combat sports. That's the ideal scenario. But I think we're a long way off that. If boxing or UFC or whatever, MMA, you know, gives you that confidence and also the discipline. You know, I'm a huge fan of it. I'm a huge fan of physical exercise. But, you know, a lot of lads I work with, they're not athletic and they don't want to be. They've got other things that they can get that strength from. So, mm. It's kind of like, this is great if it's your thing, but you don't need to be that to be a man. If this is your thing, you know, you focus on that. Well, how do you go about helping them in, in those different nuanced ways? Because I was, I was listening to an interesting podcast. It was talking about how a lot of medical science is based on the, the male body and actually females can miss out. But actually a lot of therapy is based on things that suit the female brain, whereas actually men sometimes need more than just talking. They need solutions suggested because that's how our brains work. Is that something that you've you've encountered? Yeah, so first off, I mean, my teaching background is a huge advantage here. You know, I've spent 18 years making Shakespeare and poetry engaging <laughs> for young lads. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can do that, then masculinity is easy. Well, Macbeth's Macbeth probably quite good for that, isn't it? Yeah. I love Macbeth, yeah, I love it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the, the program is six hours long and it's extremely practical. You know, you can't sit anyone really, but especially these young men down for six hours and just expect them to listen. That's not what it is. Within each, every single hour focuses on a different aspect of masculinity. So it might be attitudes towards women, emotional literacy, anger management, self-control, those kind of things. But they're all based around practical activities. And I personally have found that men are much better talking around an activity than they are, you know, let's just sit down and talk. And even at our age, you know, we'll meet to watch the match or we'll meet to play golf and we'll do our talking around that activity rather than let's meet to talk about yeah, yeah. how life is, which a lot of us would find quite awkward. So, yeah, the practical nature of the programs helps to kind of encourage them. And all it takes is one or two lads to take that first brave step. So I'll give you an example. Um, I do an activity called Step to the Line, uh, where the lads line up at the back of the room. I put some tape down on the floor. I read some statements out and if their answer is yes, they don't have to actually have to say anything. They just step to the line. If their yeah. answer is no, they stay right there. So there's no talking involved um, at that point. So one of the things I say was, right, step to the line if you've ever cried. 
you know, ever in your life. So obviously every lad step, I'll, I'll tell you about, this was a group of year 10, so 15 year olds, quite tough lads. Uh, all 12 of them stepped to line. So throughout, stay on the line if you cried in the last six months. All 12 of them stayed on the line. Stay on the line if you cried in the last three months. I think two of them backed off. 10 of them are still there. Yeah. It got down to stay on the line if you cried in the last week and four of them were still there. Wow. So I said, that's really brave. Yeah. Yeah. I said, that's really brave, lads. Well done. That's brilliant. Everyone go back now. And the next one was step to the line if you've ever seen anyone in this room cry. And bear in mind, they're all friends and they've all cried in the last six months. Nobody moved. Mm. So when we got the chairs back, we kind of, there's a load of other questions as well, but we packed that up, sat down and we have this football that we throw around for whoever wants to talk. And I said, right, well, we've all been brave and admitted that we cried in the last six months, but no one's seen each other cry and we're all friends. So if we don't cry in front of our friends, where do we do it? And this lad asked for the ball and he said, well, I do it in the shower. <laughs> yeah. And all the other lads were like, what? You cry in the shower? And he was like, no, no, listen, like, I'll never get caught. And if my eyes are red and puffy, I'll just say it's yeah. a shampoo. <laughs> and all the other lads were like, oh, wow, yeah, that's really clever. I should do that. And all I could think was like how sad that is that he's put that level of thought and that level of tactics into yeah. hiding what he considers to be a weakness where he should feel the safest. But because he said that, three other lads then piped up one after the other and said, I just locked myself in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. I go I go to the toilet. So that kind of generating the discussion through an activity, I found has been very, very advantageous in get, getting boys to talk. It's, it's fascinating that, that that principle of activity, actually, because... I know there's sort of like social historians say it's something to do with hunting and we like being side by side rather than face to face. And as, as people that say, even when men talk to each other, you notice women stand front on, whereas men will always stand at an angle. And apparently that's been non-confrontational because if you stand face to face, it's like you're going to fight. So it's an interesting, all the complexities yeah, of it. Yeah, and I think it starts really young because my son is only five years old, but I've noticed that he's most talkative um, when he's in the car seat behind me. Yeah, you know, like when we're not face to face, and um, obviously I try and make him feel safe to talk about anything, even at five years old. But it's interesting that, like what you said there, that lack of confrontation. He obviously feels like when I'm facing the other way and he's not looking at me in the eye, he can talk a little bit more. Yeah, I found it a real challenge actually because I work shift work and I work weekends and evenings. It's interesting personally because I, I guess I'm quite a chatty guy. I've always said to my mates, "Do you want to meet up for a coffee? Do you want to do this?" And no one's interested unless you throw tennis in there or squash or something. It's like <laughs> It's not, it's not going to happen. I'm not sure you, rep- yeah, I don't think you represent the majority of the country in terms of like you are, you are quite emotional. You're very emotionally literate. And, you know, the way that you've been brought up, you are very open about things that most men aren't. So, yeah, but it's, but it's, we miss out on that. But that's the difficulty as we get older. I don't know if you found that, that if everything has to be anchored to activity, it gets more complicated as you become more committed to work, families and stuff, isn't it? Because you can't. I think, I think most guys game. hate golf. I think most guys hate golf, but <laughs> yeah. just, to, just to talk to the mates. Yeah, yeah. Just an excuse. You need an excuse because the idea of like women are very practical about let's go for a coffee and meet for half an hour, but we, that's almost like that's so hard to organize. It's like let's go and get lashed, and but you know, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got young if you imagine it, if you walk if you walk past a, a kind of cafe and you saw two men with coffees facing each other on a small table. I think there'd be all kinds of stereotypes about that. You know, are they a gay couple? Are yeah. they, you know, whatever? Because I think for a lot of men, they would find it strange, like you said, to meet up in that kind of environment with no activity just for the purpose of talking when actually that's an extremely healthy. And, you know, like you said, it's not as time consuming as an activity. You know, when yeah. we're all so busy, that's probably as much as most of us will be able to manage. Absolutely. How how difficult do the boys find school generally, do you feel? Is, is school 
better orientated for, for girls or is it just that girls develop more quickly? What's your assessment? Because you were saying about the linguistic dexterity of, of boys versus girls. Yeah, so we were talking earlier about emotional literacy and how much lower it is. Uh, I think we're definitely seeing the scars of lockdown as well mm. on that, you know, that stunted emotional growth, um, lack of socialisation is having a huge impact. I don't want to get too political, but underfunding in schools has had a huge impact. You know, you have big class sizes, a lot of the people, the counsellors, the behaviour managers who weren't teachers who would be able to draw people out of a lesson and discuss what's going on. They lost their jobs, you know, when the first set of cuts came in a long yeah. time ago. So the poor teacher at the front has got 32 people in a class, you know, half of which have got kind of extra needs, additional needs. They, they, they can't cope. So, yeah, I think a lot of not just boys, but a lot of young people are not getting what they need um, from the education system. And boys in particular... Um, are maybe going through a stage where we talked about earlier about kind of the brain, um, how, you know, at their age, they're producing 40 times more testosterone. 40, uh, 40, yeah. 40, yeah, 40 yeah. times more testosterone, which in the brain is a stress hormone. The part of the brain that's responsible for control, so the prefrontal cortex, which is where logic and decision-making and context are, that develops much slower in boys as well. That doesn't finish developing for most boys until they're 25 years old. You know, so this doesn't remove accountability or responsibility. Um, you know, I always say this to the boys when we're talking about the brain, like it doesn't let you off the hook. We've still got we've still got to work on ourselves. But when you feel angry and like your brain is clouded and you can't make good decisions, there is a chemical um, there's a chemical uh, kind of sequence going on there that we need to acknowledge. The kind of lesson there is then like, well, how do we deescalate? How do we give ourselves that process in time to allow the prefrontal cortex to engage, to make good decisions rather than you know, telling your maths teacher to F off or flipping the desk over and storming out the classroom, that kind of stuff. And that's where teacher training, you know, becomes so important. So I don't just do uh, pupil workshops. I also work with teachers on how they can improve their practice and the cultures around school to promote a more open-minded understanding of masculinity. What, what would that involve, do you think, for a teacher on a daily basis? So for me, it would involve giving them the process in time that they need, not getting on the back. You know, so if you're going to, if you need to get the, the pupil needs to appraise the situation is safe like this teacher is going to give me what i need in order to bring for me to come back down so if the teacher stood over the desk saying i told you to write that date 10 minutes ago and you've done nothing mm. no that isn't going to help okay that's not that all you're doing is pu pushing them into a corner where you're going to get that fight or flight response there so it might just be kneeling down next to them lower your voice saying you know it's been 10 minutes and you've still not written the date is everything all right you know, do you need a minute outside to yourself? You know, because mm. you, you've got no idea what that young man's going through. You know, what, what happened before he came into that lesson? What happened that morning? Um, I had a young man explode on me in a lesson once um, because he'd had a fight with his dad in the morning. And I was the first man that he'd seen since he had a fight mm. with his dad. Now, obviously, I didn't know that. Um, all I think I, I just asked him to take his coat off. He came into the lesson. You know, the school um, policy was you take your coat off when you're in a lesson. I asked him very politely. But he blew up on me, um, yeah. which obviously I would have no idea what's going on that morning. But in the kind of chat outside the room, you know, I said that was a very disproportionate reaction to being asked to take your coat off. You know, is there something that you want to tell me? Is there anything? And he told me about the morning that he'd had. Yeah, and, I mean, probably he should have been passed up a kind of chain of consequences there for shouting at a teacher and getting in my face and everything. But actually, I just said, listen, I totally get it. I have two minutes outside. When you feel like you're ready to come back in you come back in and I'll help you catch up. And then, you know, he came back in a few minutes later and everything was okay. 
So I, it's just giving them that level of understanding, giving them the time to process, to make good decisions. That's a key part of it. How difficult is it for a young boy to sit still for six or seven hours at a desk? I mean, is that is that practical? I, I can't do it now. And I've luckily got a job where I don't need to, but it's always been difficult for me. Yeah, it is difficult. I mean, you're getting into the kind of the, 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 the central points of the education system now, but I would hope that there's been a lot of work on how to engage, not just boys, but learners in general. So engaging learning techniques, there's no reason why you have to be in that chair. There's no reason why within the lesson at some point you can't be up discussing mm. things, debating things, acting as a, a kind of go-between in different groups. So, yeah, looking at pedagogy and the way that we deliver our lessons and then how those would be received, particularly, again, going back to lockdown, you know, a lot of yes. these kids have come from two years almost where they've not had to sit still and they've been able to do what they want and been able to get the phone out. I think getting the phone out is muscle memory for some of them now. Mm. You know, I don't think they mean consciously to do it. And then it's, ah, give me that phone. And then, no, I'm not giving you my phone. And then you've got the conflict of that. So, yeah, I mean, pedagogically, teachers have a lot of training on how to engage learners. And I would hope that, you know, they would consider what it's like to sit still for five, six hours a day and, and put techniques in place to, to make it more engaging than that. What impact has the social media had? You, you mentioned that on, on masculinity. And I suppose when people are searching for role models, there's now potential to, to get some good and bad role models, isn't there? Yeah, unfortunately, it's always the negative role models that are the most sensational and demand the most views. So, I mean, a huge amount of my time is taken up with Andrew Tate, uh, an absolutely yeah. enormous amount <laughs> I, I of just time. Knew, I, I just knew him as a kickboxer. So it's, it's interesting how your naivety that I wasn't even aware of that world because I don't spend enough time Yeah, I mean, it. that's part of his attraction to the young. He's obviously got the physique. He was a world champion kickboxer. He's a clever guy. I mean, he's he's a classic narcissist in a lot of ways. He's intelligent. He's articulate. He's charismatic. He's highly manipulative. Mm. And he preys on kind of angry, disillusioned uh, young men that make up a lot of society at the moment. But going back to that point about social media, people like him are more than happy to fill the void of masculinity in their very destructive ways. But people like, just thinking of some of the guys that I use in my workshops, people like Kevin Sinfield and Rob Burrows and Paddy Pimler, they're less sensational, they're less dramatic, they're less engaging in some ways. So they're not going to get the clicks, they're not going to get the subscriptions that people like him get and then you've got the whole algorithm problem you know when you start searching for andrew tate content it detects mm. that and it will only then um, promote content similar to andrew tate so your life becomes an echo chamber there so for a lot of the young lads that i work with my voice might be the only counter to the highly misogynistic views that they see every single day yeah that i might be the only person that speaks from the other side of that because their life has become this echo chamber and does, does he represent a fear and insecurity about women? Is that at the root of it? And the inability to get yeah, female, think, female attention? I think so. I think he's, I mean, he's got extremely traditional views on masculinity. You know, things like women, women are essentially property. Um, women's heads are empty and, you know, need to be filled by male knowledge. And I could go on and on about the things he said. Rape victims need to bear some responsibility and blame when they're raped. It's really, really damaging stuff. But, it, you know, like I said earlier, he's, he's highly manipulative, he's articulate with it, and he appeals to that worst side of us um, mm. that, unfortunately, a lot of lads... And he makes money to. He makes money out of these messages, doesn't he? Oh, he's, yeah, he's, he earns a fortune. He's, he's, incredibly, he's incredibly wealthy. and that, But that's part of it. That's part of the materialism. You know, the designer gear, the fast cars, a lot of lads are drawn in by that materialism as well. Yeah, it's a sad world where he probably didn't make that much money out of being a kickboxing world champion, but makes the money out of, of spreading those those messages as well that relationship with with women's difficult what, what what's that source of 
tension and, and conflict for, for young men because I read a statistic that for young men, something like 80% of women are focused on 20% of the top men and a lot of men now, they call it the voluntary incelibate, don't they? Incel, I've, I've heard involuntary it. Celibates, incels, involuntary celibates, yeah. incels. Not voluntary, involuntary, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't think many many young men are voluntarily celibate. But it's um, but how much is that a difficulty now? Because it, it feels like there's a lot of young men who aren't getting much success. Yeah, and incel culture is thriving on the internet. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Manosphere. So the Manosphere is a group of online male communities um, that are very anti-female, anti-feminist, very angry. Incel culture makes up about a quarter of the Manosphere. So incels believe that being male sex is part of their birthright and that women shouldn't be the gatekeepers to sex. They should not be allowed to say no. And they're very, very angry about that. There's a lot of stalking, a lot of you know things like rape threats and death threats, uh, even going as far as physically attacking as well. I think, I think I read somewhere that over 50 killings of women in the Western world have been linked back to the incel culture. And I, I suspect that's a lower number than you know what the, what the reality is. So incel culture... Yeah, it's, it's a problem. The problem with the Manosphere as well, they're very tech savvy. You know, they're producing a lot of content that's going out on TikTok, on Instagram, and I'd like it to be seen as a form of radicalization. Mm. You know, when we talk about radicalization, we often think down the terrorism route, but actually I think this is just as um, just, just as damaging in terms of grabbing the attention of our young men, giving them a source for their anger and hatred. Your life is is terrible because actually society is dominated by women. It's called gynocentrism. The idea that society is dominated secretly by women and that men are actually this, you know, species that are under attack and we need to defend ourselves. It's this mental gymnastics that we perform, you yeah. know, that within a patriarchal system, somehow we're the ones that are under attack. Yeah. And yet for a heterosexual male, the, the most important relationship typically is your is your wife throughout life. It's a partnership and, and collaboration, isn't it? It's strange that that they would, would see it that way. And I, I haven't I haven't warned you about this, but I'm just thinking about it because I heard people have conversations about this lately thinking of teenage boys and the incel culture the fear of women does it grow because they're not forced in a sense there's there's online pornography does that mitigate the need to go and speak to women and try and approach women is that taking away an aspect of of the interactions that we kind of would seek out and, and face those situations with girls yeah. and have pornography pornography as i mean I, I talk about this in my pupil workshops in the staff training and also the parental sessions that i do pornography has having a huge impact on the way that Young men see women, women's bodies, sex, what a healthy relationship looks like. Um, obviously, I don't do this with a younger year group. So I work with nine-year-olds, right to 18-year-olds. Yeah. So I only bring pornography in with the kind of older ones. But we have a very open chat about pornography. And we discuss things like, so the average age that a boy first starts watching porn is 11 in this wow. country. And that's, that's the average. So you're going to get some eight, nine, 10-year-olds. 88% of pornography, heterosexual pornography, features some kind of aggression towards a woman, whether it's grabbing, name-calling, slapping, choking, whatever. So this 11-year-old boy is watching pornography. First off, it's not a dirty thing. You know, like, let's get out of the way. You're drawn to it with these powerful natural feelings, but then society tells you to be ashamed. It's something dirty. So you get really confused. So you do it secretly. You know, mm. you seek it out secretly which in our, in our day was looking for your dad's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But now it's, you know, just, just get on a smartphone and it's very easily accessible. But yeah, this 11-year-old lad is watching pornography and 88% of his pornography at least features some kind of aggression towards a woman. So by the time he's 16, what what is his view of sex? What is his view of a relationship? What is his view of what a woman's body should look like? I was doing this 
pornography section with, again, a group of year 10s. And this lad pipes up. He said, yeah, you know what? I didn't even realize that girls had pubes. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yes, because you, you one of the other lads would say, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, me and my girlfriend were, for the first time, going to be, like, intimate. And all, on porn, they're all shaved, aren't they? So it just shows <laughs> that, you know, pornography creates this really unrealistic view of what a woman should look like, what a woman should do. But then you've also got the fact that lads become desensitized to it. You know, mm. if they're watching it, they start watching porn at 11, they're going to start become desensitized. They're going to start searching for more extreme content. And yeah. you know, some really dark, some really dark stuff out there. But again, you know, we're ashamed of talking about it. Mental health, suicide, pornography. How often do we sit down as men and openly talk in a really safe environment where we can say anything? About that, it's, it's practically never. But it's a seismic shift, isn't it, in 10 or 15 years as well? Because you allude to when we were young boys, it was picking up the occasional magazine. You might start at 11, 12, you'd see the page three girls and the, in the tabloid newspapers, whatever it was, but it wasn't anywhere near the level. Then you had sort of soft, erotic films on Channel 5 when everyone got excited when that channel started when we were 14 or whatever the it was. The dodgy German channels at 12 yeah. o'clock at yeah. night as well. But it was nothing at the level. But like you're saying, I mean, how much danger does technology hold for a, a lot of teenage teenagers generally? I mean, technology is a tool, isn't it? It's how mm. we use it. And I think, you know, big tech has got a lot to answer for in terms of how it moderates its platforms. And, you know, we know that a lot of cyberbullying isn't picked up on. Um, inappropriate content isn't picked up on. And for them to pick up on it would be uh, kind of, you know, hurt their profits. And I don't think big tech's doing enough. But also, I don't think we're doing enough as parents and educators. I think too many of us shy away from uh, awkward conversations um, and that's, I mean, that's what progressive masculinity is really. I told you it's not a brainwashing exercise where I try and create the kind of men that I think they should be. Just we also sit down and nearly all the feedback that I get from the lads themselves on the evaluation is, I've never talked about that before. I felt really safe. No one's ever spoken to me. I didn't think it was okay to, for lads to talk about that kind of stuff. And that's mm. what the feedback that means the most to me. You know, because when you, when you mention the word porn, they're all like, <laughs> I don't watch yeah. porn, you know, yeah. watch it. And then, yeah. and then <laughs> yeah. again, to say, listen, it's nothing to be ashamed of. We're all drawn to it. It's very natural. It's more about our relationship with pornography. How much do we watch? What kind of porn are we watching? What messages are we getting yeah. from it that, you know, might be seeping in without us realizing it? And, and once it becomes more about that than are you watching it? Because I just assume that you all are, you know, they think, all oh, right, this is okay. I know. I mean, they do in schools, they do like PSHE lessons on it, but the lads say, you know, it feels tokenistic. They don't feel like they can say what they really think about things like that in front of, especially in front of women. So, does it demotivate them from seeking out women though, and, and having those phone? I mean, we in our day it was landlines, wasn't it? You had to phone up and speak to their dad and say, "Oh, is, is, <laughs> yeah. is, Janet, is Janet there, please?" And then like he he'd say they weren't there, and you'd be like, "Is he? Is she really not there, or is he just not? Like, just doesn't want me <laughs> yeah. to get?" Well, that, yeah, that was like that was quite it was quite built up quite a lot of resolve in a way having to do that and having to seek with girls out. Yeah, I mean the act of pornography and masturbation is is inherently selfish, isn't it? You're only focusing on your yourself and your own pleasure. When to be a good partner, you need to be thinking about the other person as well. So a reliance on porn is really just this is purely intrinsic. It's all about you, and then you don't really understand what your partner needs from you um, to be a good kind of sexual partner, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right in what you said there. I think technology is playing a part in mm. the attitudes and making a lot of lads nervous. But just going back to the manosphere that we talked about earlier, I told you that the incel culture is about a quarter of the manosphere. There's a huge aspect of the manosphere that are known as pickup artists. And what pickup artists do, there are a lot of different groups under this banner. 
they teach boys how to manipulate girls into sex, basically. So we're not talking about healthy dating advice. Um, we're talking about how to emotionally manipulate, psychologically manipulate girls into getting what you want. So, for example, one of the techniques they teach is called negging, where you give a girl a negative statement to lower her confidence. So psychologically, she's more predisposed to, you know, want to do what you want to win herself back. That's so a social, that sociopath, isn't it? Isn't that a sociopath? It's, it's terrible. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and I kind of say to lads, I'm making you aware of this, just so it's out there. But can we just say, you know, is this what a proper man looks like? Is this what a good, strong man, someone who tricks other people into getting what they want, somebody who manipulates? And, you know, they all say, no, nah, it's disgusting that once it's kind of pointed out to them. But it also comes from a position of lack of confidence and self-worth, doesn't it? Because if you have to diminish someone else's status, it's because you feel that, if they're feeling confident, they wouldn't choose to spend time with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where we need more focus in schools on social and emotional learning. You know, there's such a pressure on academics and schools are judged on these ridiculous league tables based on how many passes that you get. And because they're so driven on that, they neglect the social and emotional side. In the in the kind of when lockdown finished and schools were going back in, there was this all these experts were coming out and saying they need to develop their social skills. You know, no, no yeah. society in, the, in our history has ever been through this. There's actually this child psychologist who was saying that every kid should be treated as if they've got PTSD mm. um, because of lockdown. And this other, I was listening to this debate. Someone else came on and said, well, the war generations never had that. And they went on to achieve great things and they had bombs dropped on them. But this guy was saying, yeah, but that was terrible. And that was traumatic. But actually the war years created social cohesion. Yeah. Communities came together. Suicide um, went down, our, didn't it? Yeah, what yeah. our kids have been through, no no one's ever been through that in history, in, in our culture, in our society, this kind of separation and isolation. So in the wake of lockdown, schools were encouraged to promote social, you know, give up lesson time to do team building activities, games, that kind of stuff. But there's no league table for that. You're not judged on that. And schools are too afraid to sacrifice curriculum time for social and emotional development. And so it never happened. All these experts came on and said, this is what young people need, but it never happened. Yeah, so it has been a remarkable few years, actually, and how we reflect on it, what we do next time if there's a similar situation. Hopefully, we we learn from it. It's it, it's fascinating, isn't it? The mental health culture now is good, but there's almost a separation between body and mind. And it's interesting listening to you talk about the 40 times testosterone and, and what a young boy's brain is going through because the importance of hormones is brought, brought home to me. Actually, a few conversations on the podcast. A former colleague of mine at Sky Sports, Anna Allerton, has now started a executive coaching thing but aimed at perimenopause and menopause things like that because she went through that the hormonal changes early in her late 30s and how that changed her brain what she was thinking her emotions and we talked about this before that the difficulty of having empathy for young boys who's who are kind of finding it very hard to think clearly aren't they at that stage yeah yeah i think we talked about kind of one of the greatest sins of growing older is to forget what it was like to be younger and to have that impatience and just just go back and put yourself in in that rage-filled 14-year-old's mind that you were you were once there when you know when someone's pressurizing you and in your face and on your back, are you going to make a good decision? You know, I think I felt like I saw it on Twitter somewhere once. This idea of be you need to be the person you needed when you were younger. Mm. Who did you who did you need? But you needed the person who was patient, who didn't just sit and let you talk, who genuinely listened to you and took in what you said and made you feel heard and valued and you know, I, that's what a lot of my teacher training and parental sessions focus on. Yeah. And that, that feeling of anger, I think, is difficult sometimes for women to understand, isn't it? As a, 
they have seen a sort of more nuanced range of, of different emotions. Whereas I think for men, and I was fascinated by this, I was talking about um, transgender men. So women who um, go through a transition to become men were saying about how they couldn't believe through testosterone therapy, the lack of range of emotions they were feeling and how more, more angry they felt. It's, a, it's an interesting conundrum that, isn't it? Because it's, it's something we try and deny, but actually the, the anger is there, particularly as a young man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and again, this is this is kind of a nuanced topic. There, there was actually a huge study at the University of Missouri on this, where they put the head mapping gear on. I think they had four thousand participants from all different genders, age range, and they determined that actually females feel anger as frequently as men do, but their mm. prefrontal cortex is developed quicker. They're a lot better at controlling it. Oh, but okay. also, there's a there's a social cultural factor here as well. You know, when a lot of people say to me, "Why don't young men show emotions? <clears throat> Why do we bottle it up?" That's not entirely true. Anger is very acceptable in the male world. It's the only emotion that is socially acceptable for us ah, to show. Yeah. So the young man, that young man walking down the corridor, smacking the wall, swearing, he kind of looks like, you know, to, to the school or to a lot of young lads, he looks admirable and strong. Whereas that same young man, you know, confessing to feelings of, and I don't know, worries about the future or family issues that have gone, he then looks weak. Yeah, so we, we feel this whole yeah. range of we feel this whole range of emotions as men particularly young men, but anger is the only one that's socially acceptable to demonstrate. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? What about women and men and getting them together then? How important is that for the insult culture and the, the general kind of frustrations in, in society? Sort of, what was that? What women... I, I said how important, you, you mentioned the sort of word allied and stuff. I think for men and women yeah. to sort of get together more mm. and not sit in these pockets of online communities sort of railing on each other yeah. and, and mistrust. Yeah, being allies and advocates for each other is huge, but I think that comes from empathy and understanding. So I once delivered a whole day of assemblies to an all-girls school, even though, you know, progressive masculinity is my company. And at, literally at the end of every single one assembly, there was at least five or six girls from each year group that stayed behind to say, we had no idea. We thought lads had it easy, you know, that being a man, you got everything given to you. We had no idea they were going through these pressures and stresses and, and thank you, which was really nice. On the flip side of that, on the attitudes to women workshop that I do with the young lads, a lot of them say, I had no idea they were under that kind of pressure, you know, that kind of body image pressure, the pressure to be obedient, the pressure not to be too ambitious, not to be too strong, not to be, you know, that woman box. We talked about a man box, but a lot of men try and force women into very traditional roles. So I think being allies and advocates, the first step is developing empathy for each other and realizing. It's, that, it's going back to that oppositional thinking. Just because girls have got it difficult doesn't mean that lads haven't as well. And yeah. because lads, it's difficult for us doesn't mean it's, it's, no, it's actually hard for all of us. And understanding that is, is a key to being an ally for each other. And is it finding that, that place of, of partnership more broadly, I suppose, is, in an identity? Because it, it is more complicated now, isn't it? Because what the old world had was the man gets a job, the woman looks after the kids, and it, it may not be fulfilling for everyone, particularly the women, but actually... It was clear. Is it is it more opaque now for, for young boys growing up, figuring out what they're supposed yeah, to do? Just, I just think it's. I just think. We're, I just think we progressed more. I just think we're more mm. open. So in the wake in the wake of lockdown again, there's been a thirty percent increase in stay at home dads. Yeah. So there been there would have been a lot of men during lockdown that would have kind of shunned the idea or been embarrassed or ashamed of the idea of being a stay at home dad, and then they got a taste of it during lockdown. This quality time with your kids, where you can do things that normally you wouldn't do. And actually, a lot of them realise this is great. You know, this doesn't make me less of a man. And yeah, so I think it's slow progress, isn't it? And it's a shame that it took something like lockdowns to teach some of us that. But progress is slow. 
Um, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, one thing that I found interesting is, is how men and women need to value different things in each other because the stereotypes or instincts or whatever they are die hard. For instance, it says now that as women get richer, they get less likely to find a partner. As men get poorer, they become less likely to find a partner because typically women want men with affluence. Men don't value affluence or job success necessarily historically as a, as a sign that you want to, maybe they're threatened by it. I don't know. Maybe they think the woman's going to have too much time at a job and not enough time for them. I don't know quite know the dynamics, but as you're saying, they're stay at home dad. Not only does he have to respect himself, but the woman has to respect him for that. If that's his, his calling. And it has to be a, yeah, a more, a, a more in-depth look at a partner, isn't it? And what they bring. Yeah. And when, when we talk about us being allies for women, what we need for women to be allies for us is to understand that, maybe sometimes they can contribute or drive some of our insecurities. Um, yeah. So, you know, I I once had a lad say to me, like, this is all well and good, Mike, but girls say they want a sensitive guy. But then if I cried in the playground, I know half the girls in the school would laugh at me. Mm. And, you know, I had I had girls come to me, or sorry, lads come to me and say, oh, this girl said that she's going to get her older brother to beat me up, you know, basically <laughs> weaponizing his masculinity. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, in terms of being allies for each other, it's important that they understand our insecurities and what they can do to kind of support us and not to drive them, similar to what we need to help them with. And sometimes I feel like maybe it is best in relationships that you you have that male solidarity as well, friendships that you can go to and, and, and speak about problems that perhaps, you know, your your wife or girlfriend doesn't necessarily want to deal with, but your, your friend can have more of an insight because he's going through something similar. Yeah. And that takes that kind of, that's go back to work, that word strength, maybe to be the first one to say, have you got five minutes, mate? You know, maybe not that group therapy that a lot of lads uh, kind of don't enjoy that environment, but that that one-to-one with a mate, have you got five minutes, mate? You know, things are not so good. Um, Paddy Pimler, his best mate, Ricky, killed himself because he yeah. never had that person in his life. And Paddy Pimler, I've got this interview that I play with him in the sessions. He said he would have done the same thing. The only difference between him and Ricky is that he had people in his life who he felt safe enough to talk to. And that was mm. the only difference between him who survived and, and Ricky who didn't because Ricky didn't feel like he could talk to anyone without being called a little girl or soft. Whereas Paddy knew that he had certain people who no matter what would have his back. And this is kind of the mantra that I tell the lads, you know, you don't have to go out in the middle of the playground and, you know, gather all the attention about being emotional, but you're safe person in your safe place. Everyone's got them. You've got mm. someone in your life who cares for you, whether it's a teacher, a parent, a teaching assistant, an uncle, a friend. And you've also got safe place. Find your safe person, find a safe place and be brave enough to take that first step. It feels like for young boys, we, we had big groups of friends. I had 10, 15 friends. But actually, as you get older, that's the challenge for, for boys is they place an importance when you do have a family, when you do have a job on friendships because it because we're not very good at maintaining friendships are we relative i think women are better at that no you know kind of when life kicks in when life kicks in and all those different pressures and uh, time consuming things we, we i don't i don't think we are but you know even when you're younger and you've got that group of 15 mates within that there are pockets aren't yeah there? yeah you're not close with all 15 of them there's probably only one two three that you would tell that kind of stuff to yeah that's true no, it's big. Mikey, I love it. Well, I'm great. I'm glad you found this fantastic calling. So I think it, it is significant, isn't it? I think it will it will help people because there is a there's a challenge going on for, for young boys and, and men. Probably always, maybe yeah. always has been, or maybe it's more heightened now. I don't know. I think there always has been. I think we're just maybe a little bit more open and ready to talk about it than we were in the past. And you know, even though I only launched this in September, you know, the feedback and the um the reviews and everything, I'm booked up for the year already. Um so 
no, it, it is definitely needed. I really enjoy it. And thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you for being here. To be clear, if people want to contact you, is it best to do it through a school to, to, to recommend to your son's No, so school? if you go on the website, the website's www.progressivemasculinity.co.uk. Uh, you can find all the details of our different services on there. Uh, contact information is on there. Yep, we're at schools, alternative provision, people referral units, football academies, youth offended institutes, anything really, you know, anywhere where you've got groups of lads together. Brilliant. Mikey Nicholson, thanks for coming on, bud. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really cool conversation and fantastic for Mikey that after nearly two decades of, of great service as a teacher to young boys and girls, it's offering this real particular service that must be challenging at times for him as well, dealing with young boys with very difficult circumstances emotionally, but he's, he's obviously helping a lot of people and that's hugely powerful. Great to, to hear from him. If you enjoyed that podcast, were moved by it or, or kind of provoked by it at all, do check out Progressive Masculinity's website and indeed, you know, rate the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to, or just tell a, tell a friend, particularly if there's someone who might be listening or you might be listening and think there's a young boy in your life that, that could benefit from that. That would be fantastic. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to the po- uh, sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serena V. Remember, cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. If you would like to try some of their supplements, 30% off your first purchase, 10% ongoing with the code DRAPER10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, numerals 10 and the capital letter R. And if you're after some shoes, some very cool shoes at herringshoes.co.uk, H-E-R-R-I-N-G shoes.co.uk, herringshoes. Discount code TED10, T-E-D, capital letters, the numerals one zero. And that'd be fantastic. And remember the free mentoring session with Anthony Asprey, the Whole Man Academy, available via the show notes as well. He says that uh, particularly useful for you if you're ever feeling stuck or not exactly where you want to be in life, which is pretty much something that I think we can all empathize with at time to time. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll speak to you again soon. Mm-hmm.